place that was magical that you look around and everybody is sort of united and and the the happiness the joy um and i thought even if it's three hours this is the most magical most incredible thing in the world hello and welcome to the columbia university sports management podcast the cusp show this is scott rosner from radio row in phoenix arizona joined by my former colleague and still friend Maury Teherapur, negotiation expert, author of the award-winning book, Bring Yourself. How you doing, Maury? Doing great. It's good to connect. It's been a minute. You have to come all the, the way to Radio Row to see you. I know. It's amazing, right? <laughs> um, we live not that far from each other on the not East Coast, but we, come, but we come out here. So, Maury, you're, we'll, we'll start, by the way, Barnard alum, right? Very proud Barnard alum. Very proud Barnard alum. Right? Um, and let's talk about your background because it is a fascinating background um, and how you got to do what you've done. You've had, I mean, look, between Columbia, you get your MBA at Wharton. I'll do a little, the, the, you know, the abridged version, but you get your MBA at Wharton. Uh, you do some work. You launch your own business, right? And you become a negotiation expert, so much so that you write a book that is really, really good. For someone who teaches negotiation to say that your book is really, really good. I still am trying to teach it as well as you teach it, right? Um, so tell us about your, your background evolution of your career. Um, you know, some people say I always knew exactly what I wanted to do. I think there's about 30 versions of that mm -hmm. as I've grown older and older. Um, but I think the common thread was that I always knew somewhere, somehow, I was going to make my way into sports. And I honestly could not tell you how. Um, and, you know, started my career in public health, um, wanted to sort of find a way that I could have impact in some way. My parents had wanted me to be a doctor. That wasn't going to be it. Um, but public health sort of spoke to me because it was a way of sort of having that macro impact. Um, did a lot of work around uh, social marketing, and then that sort of brought me to sports and kind of tangentially um, because we started working with athletes and celebrities and rolling them on, into these big campaigns um, to educate people around HIV AIDS and all kinds of other communicable diseases and to see the impact that that work had. Further sort of amplified my love for sports, but in a different kind of a way, because I thought, you know, you've been spending all this time thinking about how do you, quote unquote, in the sense, little hallmarkish, how you change the world. Mm. And I realized that it's already sitting right in front of us. And sports has this power that really very little else has. And, and so at that point, all the stuff that you just said. So I go to Barnard, I go, I'm going to Columbia, I mean, uh, Wharton. I come out and I had the great fortune of at that time meeting you and Ken and we launched the sports business initiative and it almost all crystallized. Yeah. It's sort of through the, these paths, I found my place both from teaching negotiations and the athlete education. And so all of this sort of brought me back to this place of what I really loved, which is the impact work and marrying it to teaching, which I never expected. Yeah. And those things just actually went together so perfectly. But, but it even goes way further back than that, because I know your story, right? Um, and, but it goes further back in figuring out how sports can galvanize mm -hmm. people. It goes back to when you were a kid. It goes back and, to it, when I was a kid. and if you could share that story, it's, it's really powerful. 
So um, I'm first generation Iranian. We immigrated to the States um, during the revolution, uh, 1978-79, uh, sort of just prior to the um, hostage crisis. Right. And um, we moved to the States, and my parents sort of left everything behind, the typical immigrant story, we left everything behind for you. Um, and, you know, so even though I was really young, it was a pretty devastating departure. It's sort of like you get up, you leave in the middle of a lot of sort of turmoil. Um, and that turmoil was sort of that last memory in my mind, right? The division, the, the fear, the anxiety around it. And we moved to first Lowell, Massachusetts, but then Boston. And there's probably no bigger sports town in terms of the love and appreciation for sports and the fandom in Boston. Um, so you can't help but land there and somehow fall in love with sports, even as a little girl. My, our apartment used to overlook Fenway. And at the time, this was sort of the... the big days of the Celtics with um, Larry Bird and Robert Parrish and Kevin McHale. I mean, falling in love with sports was very easy there. And I remember going to games and looking around. And so again, we, I, coming from like the most divided, really sort of coup d'etat, I mean, what else can I say? Yeah. To a place that was magical, that you look around and everybody is sort of united and and the, the happiness, the joy. Um, and I thought, even if it's three hours, this is the most magical, most incredible thing in the world. And so I think, again, it was, it was really the impact of when people say, oh, I played sports, that wasn't it. Mm -hmm. I experienced it in a really deep, um, deep way that sort of changed my life. I mean, from the very early, early time when we came to the U.S. Yeah. So I told you it was powerful, folks. <laughs> So LJ over here is producing and she's got tears in her eyes here and here in the story. Um, so we'll skip through because you've done, I don't want to skip over some big highlights because, you know, working for USAID and leading that uh, was an interesting piece of your career, working for the American Red Cross, a really inter interesting piece of your career. Um, but I want to talk about the book and I want to talk about negotiation um, because I remember when you started teaching negotiation, right? We, we all started around the same time. You've lapped me a few times, right? Uh, in that world, you've won a bunch of teaching awards. Um, folks, to see, and if you're listening to this and you don't know who Maury is, uh, please look her up. It's Maury Teheripour, T-A-H-E-R-I-P-O-U-R. Um, and the, the book is called Bring Yourself. But if, to see Maury in action in the classroom is, it's, it's, it's art. And it is, you know, and especially with some of the, you know, when we teach professional athletes and the executive education stuff, and they're hanging on every word, right? Um, and the love that your students have for you um, is, is, is quite honestly, it's inspiring. Thank you. So talk to me about Bring Yourself and what led you to write this award-winning book that comes out, of course, in hardcover about a week after the world shut down in 2020. But talk to me about what led to this. Um, so teaching was accidental, right? Never planned for that. And, and Ken Shropshire sort of said, you should consider teaching. And I thought he was nuts. Um, and when I started, quite frankly, at the beginning, it was really tough because 
you know, I, I almost didn't trust myself. I, I was trying to follow the syllabus, you know, so closely and don't fear, stay in your lane. Um, and it was really my own sort of self-talk and the anxiety. And after a few years, I was like, this isn't really fun because you feel constrained, right? And you have all these students sitting in front of you and they are hanging on every, but they want something that I felt was bigger. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I was like, you know, take a step back and realize, first of all, why this isn't as enjoyable as you want it to be. And second of all, I kind of took a look at the world around, world around us. And I thought, this isn't my version of negotiations. Negotiations for me um, wasn't following a syllabus. It was the conversations we have every day with, the, with ourselves, with other people. There was such a human element in that that I felt like wasn't there. Um, in the way either I was teaching at the time or the books that were around, everything felt prescriptive, almost like baking a cake. Mm. And it wasn't that, it shouldn't be that, right? So um, I started uh, looking at books that were out there and I really started to understand what I felt was missing. So, I mean, there's a lot of great books. There's a lot of great books, a lot. And some, we use some, them. We use them, written right. we by some them. of our former right. colleagues, right? We use them. Um, but I thought there's still an element that's missing. And what I came to through sort of doing all that research was that it was the humanity in negotiations that was really missing. And so much of it was almost like you have to be this type of a person with this type of a personality in order to be successful in negotiations. And that's everything we see in society, in movies, in the news, in sports. Be aggressive, be contentious, the win-lose. I thought that's what's missing is this giving people permission to really be themselves mm. and saying, you want to be a better negotiator, work on yourself, right? And I talked about the self-talk specifically because we all have it. We have the stories we tell ourselves, the lack of confidence, um, the anxiety we have around negotiations. So I thought, you know, that's the part that people need to fix. So I always say, if you want to be a good negotiator, get out of your own way yeah. um, and work on that first. So I wanted to kind of, to me, that was the void. Um, so the book I wrote, um, is really not prescriptive at all. And the very first half of it is divided into two halves. The first half is we carry baggage, we have hurt, we have pain. As a result, we, we don't have confidence. We tell ourselves these terrible stories. You look in the mirror and the self-narrative is terrible. How on earth are you going to be a great negotiator? How on earth are you going to persuade other people to trust you or to like your ideas? How are you going to have impact when when you can't even trust yourself um so it was that void that brought me to that to that place where i said i can do this i want to do this and it changed quite honestly the way i taught so and how much did you learn about yourself during the process right i mean writing a book is never an easy thing but when you're writing a book that's so personal and is it makes you really do some some of your own deep self-analysis right it was totally cathartic And I say that it changed the way I teach as well because the book became almost like therapy. My students often say, your class was like therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't understand people. Like people come out of more, they're crying. Like it it is, it is, is, I'm laughing about it because it's so amazing that it happens that way, right? It's it's a really safe place. It's a judgment-free kind of zone. But to your point, that's also writing the book to that. I sort of stopped passing judgment. I stopped, I, I stopped sort of undervaluing myself 
and I started looking at my life because it's it's almost like an autobiography. It's not written like a textbook. Yeah, it's no, it's no. negotiations through stories. Yep. And I thought, I'm there. Are ch- there are actually excerpts in there, things that happened in my life that I had to rewrite many times because of the clarity that I got each and every time I went back to it. So the story almost became completely different, even though it was the first, it was the same outcome. How I got there changed. And yeah. it, it happened because of the honesty and the vulnerability. Um, but that's what the classroom, my classroom is that. That's why there are tears. Because yeah. it's honest and it's vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and I, so I know that we, we need to let you go, but now the book is in hardcover. Softcover. Or softcover. I mean, it came out in hardcover. It's now in paperback. I'm sorry. Um, now available in paperback, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you've you've been honored with a word. Like, this is very cool, right? Thank like, you. You, is well, it? That was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, people don't realize that you, just because you write a book and it's in hardcover, your publisher doesn't have to give you a paperback. And as you said before, my book came out literally um, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, where I would say, like, even Amazon wasn't delivering, so nobody could get my book. Um, But to have the publishers actually believe in it so much and and give me that opportunity says a lot. Um, I'm quite proud of it, but it's also an evergreen subject. So even though it wasn't the right time when it got released, I actually think it's become more and more popular because of everything that people have gone through. Because yeah. I've always said everything in life is negotiations. Yeah. What did we just experience? Everything in our life was a negotiation. That, so. That's a good point. Although, we'll, we'll, at another time, because I know we're, we're, we're just about out of time, For there is was a moment, you will remember this, about 10 years ago, where you, myself, and Ken Shropshire, three negotiations professors, <laughs> right, who were, you know, pretty good at what we do right go into the 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 souk remember this in doha and have what is essentially the most non-negotiation negotiation of all time it was the classic can you give it to us for this price and the guy said no and somehow something told us like that was a hard stop and it meant, if you don't want to pay this, thank you so much. Have a nice day. You know, you go all over the world and you're like, it's the beginning of a conversation. This gentleman was like, that would be no. And if you want it, great, buy it. If not, there's the door. Have fun. So, and I have a different take on this one, right? So, in in, in my mind, we could have offered double what it was being sold for. Right. And we still wouldn't have gotten the deal right. done. He didn't, he want, didn't want to, to sell. It. I mean, right. and it, and it was, and it was for other reasons that we won't get into, but, but you're doing the negotiation. Honestly, yeah. But I also really think that he was like, don't waste my time. Yeah. No, I agree. And it, he had no com- interest. He wasn't even going to open that yeah. conversation. And I think, you know, it's, it, it may be the culture, maybe that he actually really didn't necessarily need it. Yeah. Um, and so it was like, again, if you can't pay this price, um, you know, have a great day. Right. Thank you. So it wasn't that notion of like, as I walk out the door, he's really co- going to come chasing after us. Right. No, he was going to chase us out of there. Out, 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 <laughs> yeah. out. Right. So you know, you get, you've got a woman speaking Arabic, right, <laughs> to, to him. And Maury's the lead negotiator. You've got myself who was like dressed like Joe America, right, in, in there. You've, you've got Ken in there. It was it was not good. We were in the United good. Nations, we, but it was just not working. It just didn't work. It did not work for that job. So, but on that note, what has worked is uh, your book, your career, um, you know, and, and every, the, everything else that, that you've got going on. Um, Maury Taharapur, the book now available in paperback is Bring Yourself, 
You've been listening to The Cusp Show, Columbia University Sports Management Podcast. Scott Rosner, see you next time.